0: and disturbing behaviors. This week's podcast will be on Ed Gein. Ed Gein was born on August 27th, 1906, making him a Virgo in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And as we always do, let's get into some of the history at that time. In 1906, Theodore Roosevelt was the president who had taken the oath of office after the assassination of President William McKinley. He had previously been the police commissioner of New York City. From the late 1800s through the 1920s, it is estimated that 23.5 million immigrants came to the U.S., most of them being from Southern and Eastern Europe, as well as parts of Asia and Latin America. The year Ed was born, 1,100,735 immigrated to the U.S., the largest number ever to arrive in one single year at that time, and in 1906, the largest population to move over was actually from Italy. This influx of immigrants worked the lower-income jobs and were semi-skilled, but nonetheless much-needed workers for the blossoming industrial era. This population boom within the factories and industry inside the cities made the major cities grow exponentially. But most people earned their living working in agriculture during this time. Now this was a time before welfare and government assistance. There were no programs for the poor, but during this time the democrats mostly But Republicans, too, promised they would put welfare programs in place to help the more unfortunate. A move to garner more votes, for sure. And even though the Civil War had been over for over 40 years, there was still a lot of racial tension in the South. As a matter of fact, in September 1906, race riots erupted in Atlanta, Georgia, killing 27 people, and many black-owned businesses were destroyed. Thousands and thousands of young black families began to move more northward to escape the racism and unfair sharecropping system that put their parents into incredible debt, as well as laws that still pushed for segregation. And it wasn't just them. Asians by the thousands had moved to California, and a 7.8-magnitude earthquake hit, destroying much of San Francisco. Around 3,000 people were killed, and there was a need to rebuild, obviously. But the citizens were institutionalizing anti-Asian prejudices. Some demanded Japanese students be taught in a segregated school, But the Japanese government worked with President Roosevelt to put a stop to this, which was ultimately successful. Also in 1906, President Roosevelt traveled to Panama to see how the building of the Panama Canal was coming. This project was going to open up international trade. The American economy was growing. In this year, Susan B. Anthony, a woman who fought for social reform as well as women's rights, died. We also saw the creation of the, quote, Pure Food and Drug Act, as well as the, quote, Meat Inspection Act. The very next year, Oklahoma would become an official state. So here are some statistics. 2 out of 10 people at this time could not read or write. Only 6% of all Americans actually graduated from high school. More than 95% of all births were done at home. The top 5 leading causes of death at that time were pneumonia or the flu, tuberculosis, diarrhea, heart disease, and stroke. Also, 90% of all doctors had no actual college education. Marijuana, heroin, and morphine were all easily purchased over the counter at drugstores. And only 14% of homes had an actual bathtub. Back then, women only washed their hair about once a month and when they did, they either used borax or egg yolks as shampoo. The average worker only earned about $400 a year. Sugar was $0.04 a pound, eggs were $0.14 a dozen, and coffee was $0.15 a pound. Now, Wisconsin, around the time of Ed's birth, had a very large population of German and Scandinavian immigrants. It is located at the top middle portion of the United States. It is known as, quote, America's Dairyland" because it leads the country's production of dairy products, most famously, cheese. La Crosse is located along the Mississippi River. Now around the time of Ed's birth, it was actually quite a progressive and growing city with three colleges and universities established there between 1890 and 1912. Ed Gein's parents were George and Augusta Gein. George Philip Gein was born in August 1873 in La Crosse, Wisconsin. His father was from Ontario, Canada, and his mother was from Germany. Augusta Wilhelmine Lark was born in July 1877 in Wisconsin, but her parents were both specifically from Prussia, Germany. Now Augusta idolized her father, who was a very strict disciplinarian her family was extremely and devoutly religious George and Augusta were married in December 1900 Ed's only sibling and older brother Henry was born in January 1901 so guys let's do the math Ed's parents were married in December then the next month his brother was born. And this is interesting considering how religious Augusta was. So, unless history has gotten either the wedding day or the. <laughs> so, unless history has gotten either the wedding date or Henry's birth year wrong, she was actually pregnant before the wedding. And Ed was then born five years later. Now, to say that George and Augusta had an unhappy marriage is an understatement. George himself had a serious drinking problem, along with a mean temper. Ed would later say that his father would repeatedly beat him in the head so hard that it would make his ears ring. George... Due to his drinking problem had a hard time keeping a job he worked in carpentry he tanned animal hides he even sold insurance he even attempted to own his own grocery store but with no success augusta despised her husband because of his drinking problem and made sure that he was aware of that she belittled him often and for the most part kept him out of their sons lives she firmly believed that all women including herself were quote whores sent by the devil to tempt man unquote and that things like masturbation or really anything sexual was deviant and evil so when george saw that his and augusta's grocery store was not going to be successful they sold it and bought a farm with 155 acres near Plainfield, Wisconsin. It was isolated, much to the happiness of Augusta. The nearest neighbors were at least a mile away. She would take this moment to begin indoctrinating her sons about the sins of the flesh and lust, as well as isolating them from the immorality of the world. She successfully molded her sons to be completely and emotionally dependent upon her. She taught them that she was the only person that they could trust or love. And although she was cold and distant, I mean, something tells me hugs and kisses were not doled out to her children. But rather surprisingly, both boys, especially Ed, worshipped their mother Referring to her as a saint. I mean, she was quite successful in brainwashing them. Now, it has been kind of thrown out that Augusta could have suffered with schizophrenia. Now, I dug and dug to see if I could find anything that would substantiate that claim, and I really wasn't able to find anything. But I would be inclined to believe she might have had some form of mental illness, but you know, we just won't know for sure. So when Ed was very young and the family was settled in at the farm, he only left that farm to go to school. He also had a growth on his left eyelid that caused the lid to droop a bit, and he was labeled as having a lazy eye due to this growth. And also, due to his isolation, he was incredibly shy and had very poor social skills. He was a bit smaller than his peers, and he would begin laughing at inappropriate times. He seemed uneasy around others and was often bullied by the other boys. His former teachers also described him as awkward and shy with strange mannerisms. And if he attempted to make friends, Augusta would punish him. But, despite all of that, he managed to perform well in school and especially in reading. There is a story out there that says that when Ed was seven years old, he watched his father slaughter a hog and he experienced a spontaneous ejaculation. Augusta, seeing that Henry was getting close to puberty, increased the verbal abuse and the religious badgering, telling the boys that they were destined to be failures just like their father. She also devoted a lot of time reading cherry-picked verses out of the Bible, usually always from the Old Testament to the boys. Preaching about the innate immorality of the world, the sins of carnal desire, Ed clung to every word she said. I mean, he was so bound to her nearly physically and definitely mentally that the line between where she ended and he began was disturbingly blurred. When Ed was 12 years old, his mother caught him pleasuring himself in the bathtub. She was livid and marched across the floor. She reached into the water and she grabbed his genitalia and squeezed it as hard as she could, yelling in his face that his groin was the, quote, curse of man. Two years later, Ed completed the eighth grade and promptly dropped out of school, which was actually not terribly uncommon for those times. He continued to read books, though, because he did love to read. He and Henry spent their days working around the farm with their father and being taught the gospel by their mother. As they became young men, Augusta made both Henry and Ed promise that they would always remain virgins. Neither one of them really had any friends at all during their entire childhoods. So, That was Ed's childhood. And as I've stated before, there are some who believe Augusta suffered from some mental illness, and the word schizophrenia was thrown out in a couple of sources. Now, there's no way to verify whether or not she did have that, so we really can't speculate with any degree of certainty. But we do know that she was fanatically religious and detested her husband for his sinful addiction to alcohol now i would love to know how they actually met and why she even agreed to marry him in the first place but unfortunately i wasn't able to find that now again if the dates of their marriage and henry's birth are accurate that would mean that she was already pregnant when they married that means She would have had intercourse before marriage, which would go against everything she believed in. It would then kind of make sense that she believed that all women, including herself, were, quote, whores of Satan. She had two sons, and she taught them from the very beginning that men were cursed, and everyone outside of her was evil and tainted, including their own father. So the term for what Augusta was doing to her boys is referred to as religious abuse. It is psychological manipulation and harm that is inflicted on the child by using the teachings of their interpretation of their religious beliefs. The abuser uses their position of authority, hiding behind their particular religion, and directs that abuse toward their children be it with good intentions or bad indoctrinating the children in their beliefs and suppressing any other perspective eliminates the child's chance to form their own personal morality and their own belief system and it makes them completely reliant on their parents religion they never truly learn to reflect critically and fully interpret information they receive and absorb it in their own way. Religious abuse also often goes hand-in-hand hand with physical abuse, such as beatings, illegal confinement, neglect, and on and on. Augusta also demanded her sons be completely socially isolated save going to school of course. According to an article written by noisolation.com the absence of social relationships and behaviors have been shown to affect child development in a lot of very critical ways. Socially isolated children tend to not continue their education past a certain point and they're much more likely to be psychologically distressed in their later adulthood. Children must have regular socialization outside of the home. These relationships are crucial to maintain mental stimulation and health. When a child is socially isolated, which is a basic human need, the body will perceive this as a threat, making the brain release you know, multiple stress hormones to protect the body from a, quote, threat this can lead to a whole host of very bad things and in ed's case cognitive and moral deterioration lack of socialization literally impacts the development of the brain's whole structure without getting you know too technical it creates an issue with communication within the brain cells in the prefrontal cortex Now, if you've been with me long enough, as soon as you hear that any damage has happened in the frontal lobe region, you already know that could lead to very, very bad things. The prefrontal cortex of the brain is the part right behind your forehead, and it is responsible for controlling cognitive functions such as, you know, planning and higher level thought processes and social interactions, you know, the very higher human things. So Augusta kept her boys socially isolated. She told them that the world was evil and everyone in it was going to hell. But she allowed them to go to school where Ed was bullied because of his drooping eyelid and small, you know, speech impediment. Not to mention he didn't know how to interact with others. So he was quite understandably very awkward. So the bullying reinforced what his mother told him, making him believe her completely and revering her as all the more the saint. The best way to illustrate their relationship is to think about Norman and Norma Bates, and those characters are actually based on Ed and Augusta. So let's continue with his story. Life for Ed was basically the same day in and day out. It was predictable and routine as the days and the years went by. Now his father suffered a physical ailment, most likely a stroke, and became nearly an invalid, helpless, and still drinking heavily, spending the family's money on alcohol. He couldn't help his sons on the farm very much at all, and his boys hated him. Ed was... By this point, 31 years old. Now think about that. 31 years old and still living at home with his parents. Never having a girlfriend or even just a real true friend. His entire existence was that farm and his mother. So then in 1940, when Ed was 34 years old, his father died from heart failure. He was 66 years old. With Augusta aging as well, Ed and Henry were forced to go into town and do odd jobs to help bring money into the family. Now, while the town folk were curious about the brothers that no one really knew, they also knew that they were hardworking, honest, and God-fearing folk. The residents of the community hired them on as handymen and, as strange as this sounds, Ed was even hired to babysit some of the local children and he actually really enjoyed babysitting because he could relate to children much easier than he could any of the adults. Now his brother Henry began dating a woman who had been divorced and was a single mother of two children and not only that he had been making plans to move in with this woman. Can you imagine Augusta's rage? It was during this time that Henry began to express concerns about his little brother's attachment to their mother and started saying bad things about her to Ed, which, of course, upset Ed greatly. On May sixteenth, 1944, 38-year-old Ed and 43-year-old Henry were doing some controlled burning on their land to control the growth of vegetation I mean this is a very common practice even to this day but this fire got away from them it got out of control which caught the attention of the fire department who came to help put it out once it was out and the fire department had left Ed reported that Henry was missing A search party was put together, and with flashlights and lanterns, they began walking the property to find Henry, but Ed was mysteriously able to just take the police directly to Henry's body. Henry was found face down, without so much as one burn on his body. He did, however, have bruises on his head, but... The police did not suspect foul play, and his death was listed as asphyxiation. No investigation, no autopsy. Now, of course, it is speculated that he killed his brother, and it makes sense as to why he would. Henry was having a relationship with a sinful woman who had had a divorce, which was completely unacceptable to the teachings of Augusta Gein. Then on top of that, Henry had begun to say not very nice things about their mother, expressing concerns about Ed and Augusta's relationship, but there really was never any proof that Ed did in fact kill his brother, so I will leave that conclusion up to you. But after Henry's death, Ed continued to do odd jobs around the community and make more money. I mean, at this point, it was just Ed and Augusta. Now, the locals thought him a bit, you know, slow and immature, but harmless nonetheless. But not long after Henry's death, the now 67-year-old Augusta suffered a debilitating stroke that left her paralyzed, and she needed around-the-clock care. Ed devoted himself to caring for her. She suffered another stroke and her health began to deteriorate rapidly. In December 1945, Augusta Gain was dead. Ed was completely devastated and he was also completely alone. Now his father, his brother, and his precious mother were all gone. And in his intense grief... He secured the rooms that his mother had once used, shutting them off from the main part of the house, so to make those rooms kind of a shrine to her memory. He closed off the upstairs and every room, save the one he took just off of the kitchen as his own bedroom, and then, of course, the kitchen. Those two rooms quickly began to show neglect, and they were filthy. But Ed continued to go into town and you know work for people and make some money, but he did get a farm subsidy from the government in 1951. He also realized he didn't need as much land as he had, so he sold off 80 acres of it. And this got him enough money from that sale that he no longer needed to work, but he did continue to do little odd jobs once in a while now that his mother was gone he was free to do more as he pleased he still loved to read and he began reading magazines and books that involved death he was particularly drawn to reading anything true crime including things about cannibalism all the way to accounts of the torture camps of the nazis in particular He was curious about the medical experiments the Nazis carried out on their prisoners in those camps. Ed was never one to take care with his personal hygiene, but now that his appearance no, but now that his mother was gone, his appearance was getting worse. People began to comment in whispers on just how very bad he smelled. And after a little over a year of utter and complete loneliness, he later stated that he began to have strange visions and started visiting his mother's grave at night. Then after visiting her several times, he decided to dig her up. Once he got down and opened up her casket, he twisted her head off with his bare hands. He took it home and he shrunk it according to how it was described being done in one of his books. Now, interestingly, some sources say he somehow managed to convince a local farmhand by the name of Gus to help him begin to dig up the graves of newly deceased and freshly buried bodies. Other sources say he did it alone. But regardless, after digging his own mother up, he began to visit cemeteries and would get the dead bodies out of fresh graves and take them home. Ed would later say that while he was doing this, he was in a kind of daze-like state, and if he came out of that state while at the cemetery, he would simply leave without taking anything. But, for the most part, he did take trophies home. He later confessed to making about 40 visits to cemeteries in all. He would watch the obituaries in the local newspapers because what he wanted most of all was the bodies of middle-aged women who somewhat looked like his mother, or at least in his eyes. Once he got these corpses back to the farmhouse, he would dissect them with the well-practiced hands of a lifelong hunter and he kept the parts he liked the most. Those included the heads, the livers, the hearts, the intestines, and the sex organs. He would then skin the bodies and put that skin over a tailor's dummy that is used to make clothing. Then he would tan the skin and prepare it to be sewn. His ultimate goal? To make a woman's suit so that he could transform into his mother. He used the facial skin from the corpses to try to make masks or shrunken heads. It is said that children from town would sneak up onto Ed's property and try to peek into the windows to see if these shrunken heads actually existed. And when they saw them, he would tell them that they were from the Philippines and that they had been sent to him by some cousin who had been stationed there during World War II. But, you know, he would get irritated with these kids sneaking around and he would eventually chase them off. Also in 1951, the now 45-year-old Ed began visiting a local tavern that was owned by a woman named Mary Hogan. She was lowerish middle-aged and somewhat resembled his mother, at least to him, but she cussed like a sailor and had a very mm, questionable reputation. Ed became fixated on her because to him she looked like his mother, but she was also the polar opposite of his mother at the same time. He was also growing tired of digging up women who had been dead for some short amount of time. Ed later swore, he swore that he never did anything sexual with these bodies because they smelled too bad. So from 1947 until 1954, Ed dug up bodies, but he decided he wanted someone more fresh. So in December of 1954, tavern owner Mary Hogan disappeared. There was blood on the floor next to an empty bullet shell casing. Now it did not escape the town folks attention that Ed had been transfixed with Mary, and he was indeed a suspect, but they could never connect him to the murder and again her body was never found. But the very next day after the murder, while he was working with a man named Elmo, he admitted to putting a gun to Mary's head, shooting and killing her, and then stringing her up at his house. But Elmo knew that Ed was odd and he you know, dismissed it thinking he was just joking around. But a few other people had gone missing as well with suspected foul plays, such as a 15-year-old girl, Evelyn Hartley, who had been taken while babysitting. Her broken glasses, bloodstains, footprints, along with her undergarments and a bloody pair of men's pants were found further away from where she had been babysitting. And Ed was later suspected of this, but again, her body was never found. And there were other people off and on throughout the years that Ed was suspected of taking and or killing, but there just was no proof. Then on November 15, 1957, the now 51-year-old Ed Gein entered the town's local hardware store that was ran by Bernice Warden. She was a middle-aged woman with grown kids. He asked her and her son what happened to be, no, he asked her and her son that happened to be in the store at that time about some antifreeze. He said he'd be back to purchase some. He then left and he went on his way. The next day, November 16th, most of the local men headed outside of town for a planned nine day deer hunting trip except ed ed didn't join them but he knew well that the town would be nearly completely deserted and he decided to go back to the hardware store where he knew bernice would be working he entered the store he bought some antifreeze he left but then he quickly returned and he had a rifle in his hand ed aimed and shot bernice killing her instantly then put her in the store's truck and drove away. Witnesses stated that they saw the hardware truck actually pull out from behind the hardware store about 9.30 that morning, and the store had been closed the rest of the day, but no one really thought anything of it because, I mean, it was hunting season after all. So, Bernice's son, Frank, was the deputy sheriff. He entered the store around 5 p.m. and immediately saw that the cash register was standing wide open. Upon further inspection, he found blood on the floor. The last receipt his mother had written was to Eddie Gein for that antifreeze, and his mother was nowhere to be found. He called for backup, and when the police arrived, Frank immediately said that he thought Ed had done something to her. The police questioned the people in the area who told them about what they had witnessed. They then attempted to call Ed at home, but there was no answer. They went to a distant cousin's of Ed's house close to the area, and sure enough, Ed was there. He had helped the man replace a car battery and had stayed for dinner. After asking a few questions, Ed was arrested immediately. Now guys, disclaimer, disclaimer, this next section is very graphic, so listener discretion is advised. Okay, so Deputy Warden, you know, Frank, her son, along with the sheriff, went to Ed's house and began to inspect the property. They entered a shed that was up against the house, and that is where they found Bernice, naked, hanging upside down by her ankles, tied to a wooden beam. She had been decapitated and had been cut open from her genitals to her sternum, to in a way that they refer to as being, quote, field-dressed like a deer. Frank had to find his own beloved mother like that. I mean, imagine. Officers went on into the house. The rancid smell was indescribable. The best way to describe the conditions of that house and what it looked like would be to watch an episode of A&E's Hoarders. I mean, the floor was covered in filth and there was just stuff everywhere. Ed had human skulls attached to the posts of his bed. He had a box of human internal organs, furniture made from human skin and bones. He had made masks from the faces of the corpses. He had made a belt out of nipples. They also found a woman's suit made out of the torso skin, including breasts. Other things they found in his house were A trash can made out of human skin Skulls with the tops sawed off Bowls made from human skulls Leggings and gloves made from human skin Mary Hogan's face in a paper bag And her skull in a separate box Bernice's head in a burlap sack and I hope Frank didn't find that one. They found Bernice's heart in a plastic bag in front of the stove. Nine female outside genitalia in a shoe box. He used lips as drawstring ends for lamps. Lampshades were made from human skin. He had also even kept fingernails. So, at first, Ed stayed quiet, but he finally confessed to killing both Mary Hogan and Bernice Warden. He stated he had shot both of them in the head. The authorities searched the entire property, all 195 remaining acres, along with the house, which took them over a week. The items that were found were photographed and inventoried, and then destroyed. During questioning, Ed said that since 1947, he had went to three different cemeteries around a total of 40 times with the intention of digging up bodies. But most of the time, he came out of his, you know, this daze-like state and he left without taking anything. The times that he did dig up a woman, he brought her corpse home and he made these items. Most of his statements were corroborated by evidence of Graves that they checked. When he was asked why he was making a woman suit, he said he did so, so that he could become his mother. Unfortunately, the county sheriff attacked Ed by slamming his head repeatedly into a brick wall, leaving him injured and therefore also ruling his confession inadmissible. Ed's trial started on November 21st, 1957. Ed Gein pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Doctors diagnosed him as being schizophrenic and found him mentally incompetent and therefore unfit to stand trial. They then sent him to the Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, which is now called the Dodge Correctional Institution. In 1968, the doctors said that he was now mentally able enough to stand trial and his trial began that November but with no jury. Ed had told a psychiatrist that he didn't know if killing Bernice Warden was intentional or accidental. He said he had merely been looking at the gun and it went off. He said that he hadn't aimed the gun at Bernice, but after it went off, he didn't remember the rest of the morning. During this, Ed's property was appraised at $4,700, which would be around $43,000 today. There was an auction scheduled and due to that, the house and the land became a tourist attraction. Word spread quickly. And just three days before that very auction, the house was just mysteriously and completely destroyed by a fire. Conveniently. Now Ed's car that he used to transport the dead bodies was auctioned and sold for $760 to Bunny Gibbons, who was a carnival sideshow operator. Bunny then charged 25 cents admission to be able to see it now as far as where that car is today no one knows there were also no known photographs of that car he was ultimately found guilty and spent the rest of his life in a mental hospital he was by all accounts a model prisoner and patient for the rest of his life I mean, he had grown up in a very strict and regimened household, so being in an institution would have felt quite normal to him, I'm sure. In July of 1984, 77-year-old Ed Gein died from lung cancer. He was buried with his parents and his brother, but the gravestone was being chipped away and then was actually stolen but since returned and it is currently in storage at the local sheriff's department. So, it is important that I say that we have no actual proof that Ed was a serial killer. He is lumped into the group, much like Charles Manson and others who aren't technically serial killers. I believe he holds his own with the likes of Ted Bundy or Gary Ridgway because of the level of depravity of his crimes. Augusta Gein molded her son's young mind and Ed had a very unhealthy attachment to her. He literally worshipped her even though she was so overbearing, so dominating and emotionally abusive. Experts say that he developed this, you know, angelic view of his mother to help him cope with the abuse. Some say Ed was transgendered, but experts disagree. It's not that he wanted to become a woman, that he felt his body didn't reflect how he felt inside, but rather he was trying to, in a very morbid way, resurrect his mother. He was already a middle-aged man when his mother died and he had zero experience in dealing with anyone else outside of his father or brother in any lengthy manner. It is no wonder he acted out in loneliness. But would he have murdered anyone if his mother hadn't brought him up in such an intense and negative environment? My opinion is no, he would not have. But what do you think? Leave me a comment on Instagram at Serial Underscore Killing or YouTube under the same name as this podcast. You can also visit my website at SerialKilling.Squarespace.com and also consider sponsoring the podcast. It takes a lot of time and hours to put this together, but I love it. And thank you so much for listening. I appreciate each one of you, as I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me. Have a great day. Music by Kevin MacLeod on Incompetech.com.